Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello there, my beloved red women. It's Elaine Kalila back with yet another episode of the Red Podcast. And sitting right next to me, etherically speaking, <laughs> is Anadea Judith. Hi, Anadea. Hello, Elaine. I'm delighted to be here on this podcast. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a little bit of backstory as to why I invited Anadea on to this podcast for today to come talk to us. Well, not only has she been a leader in the movement of us bringing our spirituality into our everyday lives through all of the books and things that she has done in the world. I couldn't even name all the things she's done in the world. You can look her up on the website that's on on our um, um, below this podcast. But really why I wanted to have her come on is she's just published a fabulous new oracle deck, which is called She Rises, Awakening Our Female Archetypes of Leadership. Now, y'all know I love a good archetype. <laughs> so what, I, what you don't know, though, is, is that Anadea had asked me way back in I don't know, November, if I would be willing to be part of a live performance that was put together where a number of us came together to embody these female archetypes in a theatrical show that was part ritual, part performance. That's why I called it a prayerformance. And um, I got to embody and bring forward the face of the priestess. And it was a fantastic experience. And it was really actually very, very moving for me to give voice to the priestess. You know, I spend a lot of my time in the world of the priestess with priestess presence, with training priestesses, with talking about what a priestess is. And so for me to actually step in and really bring through a transmission written by Anadea of who the priestess is, was very, very powerful. And so in this deck of cards, how many archetypes are there, Anadea? There's 38. 38 archetypes of female leadership. So where I would like to start, first and foremost, is by saying thank you so much for coming onto the Red Podcast. And I am excited to talk about the genesis of this whole project, because I know it was a project. <laughs> to bring all this together. So I'm curious if you can share the story of like what sparked you to create this piece of work um, as a part of your body of work in the world. Well, it really started a very long time ago when mm. I was in my own priestess training. Mm. And even longer ago than that, I think back in the 70s, I got a psychic reading, my very first one. Mm. And they looked at me and they said, 
You know, when you were growing up, you looked at your father and you looked at your mother and you said, he has all the power. And so you fashioned yourself after your father. You didn't want to be powerless like your mother. And I realized that was quite true. So I said about, you know, what does feminine power look like? So that was a quest that started in the 70s. Then in 1985, I was ordained as a priestess in the Church of All Worlds, a neo-pagan organization. And in that ordination, I was given permission to hold power in a way that was distinctly feminine. I didn't have to do it like a man. It wow. was a form, and I, I was empowered to do leadership, and I was president of the organization as well as high priestess of it. And it was a big, huge international church that, you know, had, you know, groves and land, and we published a magazine, and we had a school, and we had all wow. these things. And, um, that I could step into the role of leadership in a way that was distinctly feminine. Mm-hmm. And as part of my training for that, I studied a lot of mythology. Mm-hmm. I studied a lot of history, history. I went back to the old goddess cultures and read everything Maria Gambudis wrote. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know, of the archetypes that were once seen as leaders that had been lost, like the priestess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, priestesses were some of the most highly regarded women of the ancient world. The oracles were sought by kings and generals and statesmen, and, you know, their words were binding. Um, you know, uh, whether the wars were fought or settled on the, on the word of the oracle. So there were women that were leading in profound ways, and we'd lost that. And then I also saw that there's ways women are emerging now as trailblazers, as activists, as, you know, entertainers, um, you know, I call it the diva, that they are emerging now in ways that need to be recognized as leadership. And so, um, you know, it just was women lead differently than men and they need different archetypes to guide them. It's as simple as that. Well, so I hear the story happened a really long time ago for you. And I know that there must have been something that catalyzed this particular offering to come in now. Like, what was it? Because I know, you know, you could have bought this through a long time ago with all the study that you did and being in the literal embodiment of the priestess in that church that you were part of in that organization. And I just, I, I'm, I'm super curious, like, why now? Why, what sparked you to put the work in to actually bring this together? Well, it was a kind of serendipity that came out of the pandemic because I was traveling once or twice a month for 25 years, teaching all over the world. And I never was home very long. And when the pandemic struck, all that stopped (laughs) and I was home. And I had developed these cards just very roughly. I think I had like 20 of them or something that I had developed. And Mm. I thought, you know, I think I'm going to write about these. And, you know, really create some images. And I actually had hired someone, um, Melinda Matzell, to do the artwork. But um, it was during that time when I was home more that this just came through me. And I'll tell you, Elaine, they would wake me up in the middle of the night and say, write me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I need to be in your deck. You haven't put me in yet. Or here's what I need you to say. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop working on it. And I usually have a kind of personal rule that I avoid the computer on weekends and after a certain hour at night, because otherwise I'm just a workaholic. And I would be working Sunday night at midnight on writing these because it was coming through me. I couldn't stop. 
And there was something driving me to bring them out now because now is a time when we need women's leadership more than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely feel you on that, and I love that that urgency or that 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 fervor, the fire that was catalyzing you to have to write these now. And I think for many of us who are in this world. There is this feeling that it is, there is an immediacy or, or a now feeling. The time is now where we're, we're being called to, um, it's particularly when it comes to this idea of female leadership and what that looks like in the world. And I always say, you know, the archetypes are those bridges that give us language and give us um, a sense of these otherwise unnamed skill sets or unnamed or unlanguaged. Um, aspects of the feminine so out of the deck who was the most challenging for you Uh to write (laughs) the very last one I wrote who was most challenging for me personally was the athlete because I'm not that (laughs) (laughs) um she was really tough because I'm just that's just not me Uh (laughs) farthest from who I am that kind of competitive workout muscle you know and uh so she was she was the most difficult the dancer, I took uh, a lot of counsel from a friend of mine that is a dancer and has been a professional yeah. dancer. Um, but most of the other ones, you know, the first dozen or so that I wrote, I've lived all of them and they yeah. just came, you know. Yeah. And then there were the next ones with a little bit of research and thought they would come through. And then there were those last ones that were just a little more difficult. Yeah. Who initiated you out of the deck? Do you feel like as you were writing it, these are because one of the things that I know from working with archetypes myself so deeply is that when we begin to call them in and we begin to work with them and really embody them and, and talk with them, they start to awaken in us. I mean, that's because they're living through us, right? So we yes. are living embodiments of these archetypes. And I'm super curious, like which one, yeah, which ones stand out as being ones that initiated something new in you or something that was unknown to you? Well, I don't know if it was unknown, but the visionary, which uh, is what I stepped into on, on stage in the event, yeah. um, and that I put my own self on the card. It's the only one I did. Um, I've always been a bit of a veg- visionary, but it made me really claim it and say, how can I really step into this as the visionary, you know? Mm. And that initiated something in me. Um, the mystica, you know, I've always had a mystical streak. Um, she was one, but the mystica is more the form that some women took during a time of intense patriarchal religion yeah. when the goddess religion was completely lost. And how could they have that mystical experience within the patriarchal format? So the mystica had her own connection and they were really pretty profound feminists also. Um, Mm. So that was one, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, when I wrote the Empress, I learned much to my surprise that from 1850 to 1900 or so, two women ruled more than half the world. I know. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. And uh, I mean, this was at a time that we thought of such patriarchy, but more than half the world, they each ruled for more than 50 years. Uh-huh. And Queen Victoria, who was one of them, she did it with eight children. Uh-huh. Eight now, children. I'm sure she had lots of servants, uh-huh. but still a mother of eight children. And she ruled the British Empire, which was huge at that time. That's why mm-hmm. it was so much of the world. And then Empress Siji of China 
she, um, China was a huge, and she ruled for over 50 years too, and she brought them into the modern age, instituted the railroads, electricity, a global currency. She put an end to book uh, foot binding because she was a foot-bound concubine that wow. later became an empress. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So there's something about these uh, um, recognition of these untold stories, too, of the women. Because one of the things that really always strikes me about our, her story, of course, yeah. is that, of course, women were excluded from writing about their experiences. They were excluded from the medical world. They were excluded from education and ministry. We were excluded from everywhere other than being at home and caring for children and that that went on for many 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 hundreds of years thousands of years in fact and so with that we have a dearth in women's voices right and we we don't know their stories and their wisdom and their lineages from that position of it being written down of it being documented and so there's something about learning these stories and feeling these women who were powerful leaders throughout history that really got completely eradicated through the patriarchal system. Were there any others that you came across that were particularly um, enlivening to you? Oh, I mean, they all were. I, I was yeah. really energized all the time yeah. working on this. But um, let me describe how I wrote about them, because I wrote yeah. them in three voices. So oh, that's right. Yes, you're part. right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the I voice, which is the mm -hmm. archetype speaking. I call it an evocation, which mm -hmm. is coming from the archetype, speaking directly in the eye. This is what you did as priestess. You know, right. I am the priestess and I am the living embodiment of the goddess and, mm. you know, all the rest of that. So it's the, she's speaking to you, you meet her. Then there is the she section and that's the historical details that's the, uh, that archetype standing in the world, mm. for instance, mm -hmm. on the, um, um, the um, benefactress, I talk about money and women's history with money and how they've been taken away from being able to have money. We couldn't even have our own credit card without a man co-signing at the bank with us until 1975, you know, yeah. and it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg with the Credit Act that, you know, changed all that. But, you know, we, you know, women, young women today don't realize, you know, we couldn't have yeah. our own bank account. Um, you know, when women... Uh, lost a husband. She did not inherit his money. She inherited his debt. If he had oh debt, she was gosh. responsible. If he had money, he, she didn't get it. You know, things like this that we don't know. And then this is where women's standing with money is so different from men today. And then the third section is the you. So it's I, she, and you. Mm -hmm. So when you work with the card of the priestess or when you work with mm -hmm. the archetype of the priestess, it is inviting you you know, to step into the realm of magic. When you work with the archetype of the lover, it is inviting you to find mm. your sensuous self and open your heart. If you're working with the benefactress, it's time to look at your own worth. You know, so there's the advice for from the archetype to the person working with it. Mm. So mm. each card is written in those voices. What I enjoyed the most, I think, was the she <laughs> research and finding... That's what I thought, yeah. Like finding out. The stories, old, you know, the old stories, yeah, of, yeah. Um, you know, the oracles and the trailblazers, and um, and and also just you know, really getting statistically they're standing in the world, 
you know? Well, and that, I think that that's one of the pieces that I got from looking at the cards and reading the I, she, you, right? Which I think is brilliant, by the way, to do it in those three voices, is that part of um, feeling ourselves as reweaving the lineages. And that's a piece that I feel like the cards are doing is we reweaving the lineages that we all come from that have been hidden or eradicated or had the roots severed from that there's a recohering of that root system that is so important and i what is your great hope for these cards like when you were because you're the, the, the visionary part of you right that like you said you stood into the visionary and i'm super curious like what what's the intention that you were empowering through having us come together and doing the the performance but also just for putting this out in the world what do you what do you dream into well that actually came to me as I began to work with them with women. And I would hold circles. Yeah. We'd put all the cards out and I'd explain a little bit about each one. And then I'd have people walk around and pick a card that related to some struggle they were having, some question they had, and take it back to their seat and read them because all the information is written right in the cards. And then stand up and embody and read the I poem, the evocation. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, Something Mm. profound happened over and over again Mm. in these women and even men who came to the circles and picked a card and read it. And even the men would cry and they would shake and they would break down or, you know, women felt seen for the first time. The woman who played um, the Shamana, who flew all Mm. the way in from Maine and is actually on the card, she told me, she says, I'm 45 years old and I never felt seen before, never felt so seen in my life until I read this card, you know who I am. And, you know, women laughed and they cried and they shook and they, you know, and so I went, oh, this is, it's not even about the cards. It's Mm -hmm. about the experience of enacting the archetypes and what that activates in a person and brings alive in them that was unrecognized or dormant or, never regarded. A woman said, you know, oh, I've been the the shepherdess all my life, taking care of everyone, making sure they have the coffee, making sure they get called back, making sure they're cared for. And I never had a word for it. And I never saw it as a superpower. You know, I never valued myself in that. Oh, so beautiful. Wow. There's so much in what you just said that resonates with you know, my world and what I'm teaching and working with all the time, which is there is the power in embody in the embodiment. Mm-hmm. And I think that word is gravely misunderstood and greatly overused. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to really stand in the I position of allowing the archetypal interface to come through you and to give you language for something that previously was unseen and it was unseen because this is the world of the feminine that has been denigrated and the world of the feminine that's been cast out as being mad as being hysterical as being too sensitive to whatever right and so as you're speaking I can just feel that in my work the same is true like as we stand in my work and in the world, it's like we stand as the archetype. I am the great mother. I am the goddess of compassion. I am the initiator, right? That's the 13 moon mystery school work. And then from the Magdalene, it's I am the red maven. I am the high priestess. I am the ecstatic alchemist. And when we stand in those, you're right, it activates a remembrance, might we say, in ourselves. So I thought in a day what I would do, because I did offer the priestess, it might be a good segue in this moment, 
for you to hear this one more time. Oh, I um, love it. <laughs> I want to say, by the way, that you were the star of the show. Oh, my goodness. You just hit it out of the park. And it, it just was the most powerful moment of the show. It brought me to tears. And mm. um, I would love to hear it again in your own voice. You know, I'll say just before I share it, that the power of, you know, I stand as priestess, right? So this is not unfamiliar to me. And this story is one that I work with women around all the time, the priestess wound and the wound of the women in spiritual authority who were just completely um you know, eradicated, really. And I remember walking onto stage that night, Anadea, and being um, like, I was like, had an electrical charge coming through my body. Now I'm used to performing. I'm a performer. I'm trained to perform. <laughs> but this is different. Performing is different than an enactment of an embodiment. And I just really want to say that because this, this was not about entertainment. This was about a transmission of energy. And that's what the archetypes do when they speak. They're transmitting something that is beyond the words that are being spoken. So I'll just say that and I'll invite you to listen in with those ears and see what you receive. Okay. So as penned by Anna, through Anna Dare, I should really say. <laughs> I am the priestess. I am a living conduit of the goddess. And my duty is to serve her above and beyond all else. Through me, she is kept alive in the hearts and minds of her people. I am the mistress of magic, the keeper of the temple, the weaver of the ways. I am the gateway to her mysteries. I come to you as maiden mother or crone. I am the oracle uttering words of the divine, the alchemist with her scents and potions, always the midwife standing between the worlds at the threshold between the known and the unknown guarding the mysteries with my life once i was revered and i walked freely through the land i blessed the crops and there was plenty i blessed the animals and they thrived i blessed the soldiers going off to war and i gave them love when they returned but after they raped me, after they destroyed my temple, once the goddess's name was forbidden from my lips, well, the springs dried up, the animals were sickly, and the land, the land turned barren. I was blamed and shamed for the chaos that followed. Punished, exiled, and tortured, and burned at the stake until I lie buried in the deep and silent earth, forgotten. I did not die, for the goddess is eternal. I did not die, for I live within you, and I am awakening and rising up from the underworld. I am singing her praises once again. I am uplifting her prayers and uttering them and beating her drums. I am dancing once more in the cycle of life, and I am making the world sacred once again. <laughs> Yeah, it still makes me cry. And I wrote it. <laughs> what is it that makes you? Your transmission that yes. is so powerful. Oh. And it still makes me cry every time I hear it. Yeah. 
what makes me feel so strongly is there's an and I said this to you at the time, you know, to to reduce or to be able to condense down, excuse me, excuse me, to be able to condense down this transmission to one page, which is the task, right, of a writer, how do we get to the quintessence of who the priestess is, um, was, a, was no easy feat. And the pieces that you risked saying in there that needed to be said. Yes. And people need to know that the priestess, what, I mean, all those things she did once bless the crops. She did once bless the animals, everything thrived. And she was blamed for the chaos that followed when the goddess temples were destroyed. And it was forbidden to speak the mother's name, the goddess's name. Yeah. And she was burned at the stake. Yeah, it's all real. It's all real it's in history, all real. in history, and it's right. all what wasn't written down, and it's all what got lost because the priestess was part of an oral tradition, mm -hmm. and the oral tradition was what was passed through initiation. That's right from from teacher to initiate, and we lost these traditions and a lot of what's happening in our world now, and certainly within my world, but for many of us as women, is we're looking these pathways of initiation through the mysteries and we're looking for the rites of passage and we're looking for the archetypes to guide us and the stories and so that's what i see in what you have created is it's a framework or a blueprint for helping us to give language to who we are serving as who we stand as in the world and, and people are hungry for the sacred that's They're right. hungry for ceremony and ritual. They're hungry for something that has a deeper meaning yeah. than going to work and making money and raising kids that has an un that speaks to the underlying mm -hmm. meaning of the world we live in and, and to touch into that. And women especially need that because they have been stripped from the sacred. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to invite you, Anadea, because um these cards are living emissaries of her. I thought it'd be really fun if you pull a card right now and see who we get and share another transmission for us from your voice. Well, should I pick one at random? Yeah, oh, I don't know. I think uh, so. Just, Let's see. Let's see which one falls out. Because you were talking about initiation. I think I'll pick the uh, initiation. Okay. And um, she was not in the show. So I haven't no, even she, heard her. She lately. wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I am the initiator. Mm. I am the mirror of truth. I am a portal to the mysteries and the key to immortality. Mm. Through me, you awaken. Through me, you are reborn. Through me, you discover who you really are. I am the challenger. My tool is the sword. I pierce through illusion and slash the cloak of ego, all to awaken the gifts that lie dormant within you. I am a catalyst. I am here to free you from all that you think you are. Free you from the grip of your attachments, the prison of your assumptions, the limits of your beliefs. Do not fear me, for I come only to those who are ready. Do not fight me, 
or my challenges will be harder. I wield the lightning bolt of revelation, ignite the diamond truth of essence. I show you the path to your destiny. I am an accelerator of evolution here to reset the future and change the course of history, for I am the messenger of divine fate. Oof. It's a powerful card to receive. So if you recognize yourself in that initiator, you are mirror to others. Do you hold the sword? Do you challenge where you know, you see things being out of alignment or where things are not true, right? And it's such a a powerful role, the truth speaker, the one who is not fearful to speak what she sees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And women, I think, have been initiators and they initiate in their relationships. They find men that need something and they initiate them into an understanding of spirituality or into the heart or whatever. We have been initiating in one way or another for a long time. It's a, it's a very natural role yeah, yeah. and you don't have to be some high mucky muck to <laughs> an initiation in another being. It right. just may come through you as a transmission, when you see what someone needs and you see who they can become, you know, as a therapist, which I was for 20 years, yeah. I felt like I was an initiator Yeah, to initiate the soul into an awakening. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and it happens all the time. I was just reflecting how I was at a new, new year's Eve party here. I was hosting and there was a friend of mine here and I finally ended up having this conversation with her whereby I spoke a truth to her that was an initiation of her, of, of who she is at a deeper level, of who I see her as. And it has catalyzed this whole shift, not just in our relationship, but also in, in who she's seeing herself as and what she's choosing now in her life. And I feel like that's what you're talking about is it happens in you know, when we see beyond the personality self to the truth of someone who someone is, women, the feminine, we should say, really, is adept at wanting to nurture that essence to come forward. That's what we really love to do. That's what therapists are doing and coaches are doing and healers are doing. We're all doing it. <laughs> we are, right? We are, we are seeing the potential of something and we are nurturing that potential in its truth and its essence to come forward. And there are a thousand different ways that we all do that. So I love that there's not just one way, you know, these archetypes aren't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're they're not narrow. They're actually really broad in how they show up in the world. Um, and And there's room for many, many different expressions of the initiator. It's not just one quality that's of right. the initiator, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just where you're in a ritual and you're blindfolded and you're, <laughs> you know, fasting for three days and then somebody hits you over the head, you know, like you say, it, that transmission can come in a statement, in mm-hmm. a challenge, in, um, in love. Right. Know? Like I think about Ruth, ba- just to bring Ruth Bader Ginsburg back in when she changed that law, when she was the one that, you know, the credit law, you know, that what a powerful initiator she was. Oh, yeah. Uh, through the legal system, right? Through being a justice. And I was t- just talking about her last night. So it's interesting you bring her up. And I was laughing because I was saying, do you imagine that she ever thought she would become the cultural icon that she's become? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Who would have known it that this little woman with the lacy curly <laughs> collar, you know what I mean? Like that architect that she, but she held such a pure transmission archetypally that that's how people become cultural icons is because they're grounding an archetypal influence. That's why we have rock stars and movie stars and famous people, right? They're holding Greta an archetypal. Greta Thunberg is an activist. You know, that's right. That's years right. Old. I mean, she's older than that now, but at 16 years old, she stepped into that role. That's right. And- you know, another statistic is of activists, 60% are women. And that's quite a bit. You know, that's quite an imbalance. So women are leading that. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I have a couple of questions for you before we stop for today. And these come from the archetype of Red, who is the founding archetype of um, the Red podcast. And I like to think of her I'm as being red today just for that. I know, I love it. And I like to think of her as being um the part really being a, a, an emissary of the Magdalene consciousness of this energy that we feel of the rising of the divine Sophia. And she she when I first put the red podcast together, Anadia, she asked me, okay, fine, do this, but these are the, some of the questions I need you to ask. Ah. So these are not actually from me. These are from Red. And her first question is, what are you devoted to? Oh, I am devoted to the magic of life. Mm. I'm devoted to beauty, to creating art and beauty in Mm. everything I do. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. What do you avoid but secretly yearn to express more fully? I avoid conflict. I hate to admit it because I should pass that by now. But <laughs> I, if I if I tell the truth, I yeah. need to avoid conflict and differentiation, and I need to be able to stand in that more oh. because I lose myself. Oh, sister, I so witness you. Thank you for saying that. I was just talking about this two days ago and and, and how we as women have been trained to be fearful of conflict and to. You know, it's it's like a it's like a hereditary piece that I feel that we're still working with, right? Around standing in our power and actually being able to hold the place that not everybody's going to be okay and happy with us all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just that's like that's how it is, yeah. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah, and um, it's that differentiation. I am not like that. If I'm true to myself and who I am, I don't fit those molds, and that is right. also something that comes with these cards. These that's right. <laughs> better because we don't fit the mold of the CEO or the general or the commander in chief. Yeah. Indeed. All right. My last question to you, what is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? Oh, the most revealing thing that I hide. Well, you know, outwardly I'm this big, powerful woman, but inside there's a very tender little girl that is actually very shy I see her. I see her. I have one too. (laughs) So I think that's what most people don't realize because I don't let her show. I cover it up with the powerful, self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love that tenderness. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think the truth is that most of us who are out here in the world, you know, sharing ourselves in the way that we do also have a counterpoint of a shyness or, you know, people are always very, very surprised to learn that I'm actually more introverted than I appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I have a great persona that works for me in the world, That's like right. you do, <laughs> which is a very useful vehicle. 
Yes. But if you scratch beyond the surface, it's not that it's not real. It's just one aspect of my being like you. And this is the thing is, is you know, as this is my take, and I know I say this a lot to y'all who are listening, but my take is as for us to step into the female leadership, this feminine leadership that we're talking about, we actually are inviting all parts of us to be in leadership. Like it's actually okay to have all these parts, the tenderness, our vulnerability, our undoneness, our wildness, our freedom, our eroticism, all of it is part of how we lead. And that is what's been truncated and separated. And that's what I feel so happy about when I think about these cards going out into the world, Anadea, because there's a permission here for the full spectrum of who we are. Yeah. So you asked me about my vision and I was talking about what happened in circles, but my vision is that these circles are, I train women to conduct these circles because some people will read, you know, the archetype, like I am the gardener, (laughs) grow things. And I, you know, and I, no, 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 that's not a transmission. Let's get you into your body. Let's, you know, let's really feel what this is. Who is the gardener? Can you imagine yourself as her? And so training women to, help other women really step into this. So there would be empowerment circles, which is where the people just experience the cards. Then the next level up is leadership circles where people learn to lead with these cards and conduct circles for other people and trainings. And then the visionary circle, she rises visionary circle would be people that would take it into public events, into corporations, into creative ways. I may not even have thought of yet. Oh, so I see that it's having three circles and being part of a She Rises movement. Oh, there's the visionary right there, there's everybody. The there's yeah. the visionary. I love it. And I'll just tell you a little, little funny story about Anadea. So we, we we were preparing for, you know, the show that we did in December. And Anadea gets on the call with me and she's like, so I, you know, and she'd been coaching, could tell she'd been coaching people along the way and like trying to get them to step into the transmission. And then I think about five minutes into <laughs> Into our she went, oh no, you got it right. You, I forgot. This is what you do for a living. And I was like, yeah, that's right. But it's exactly that. And part of my my training and part of what it, where our worlds intersect so beautifully with these cards is a lot of what I'm doing is that exact same thing, which is having women bring to life these archetypes within their lives, in the boardroom, in the you know. In the operating theater, I'll tell you this little story because this really elucidates it. I've had a, a lot of, for some reason, surgeons come through the, the trainings with me. It's a very interesting thing. I've had a lot of doctors and surgeons. And now I know that there are operating theaters where there are surgeons who are doing prayers and ritual before they go into surgery with their patients, where they are choosing the playlist, where they are gathering together all the nurses, the anesthesiologists, all the people who are in the room and creating a coherent field, calling forth the archetypes and the guides and the, you know, who are doing that. Isn't that incredible? Because that's what we need. We need that intersection of our world. So, I say, you know, it doesn't matter where you find yourself, what your outward profession is, these archetypes and the divine feminine and this energy is here to move through all of us. It's not just some of us. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And like I've been amazed at men reading the cards and, you know, there was a gay man that picked the card of the Uh, us and read it and he just bawled and he shook and he, (sighs) he was just moved. I mean, he was in a state the rest of the day. 
in one of my workshops. Well, I want to empower that vision of these circles of She Rises. And if you're curious where to get your hands on one of these decks, where can they get them, Anadea? Uh, SheRisesCards.com. SheRisesCards.com. And that will be below the podcast here. You'll see how to get in touch with Anadea, how to get a deck of these amazing cards yourself, how to find more out about the She Rises movement. And I am part of that She Rises movement with you because I was there at the inception of the whole thing going out into the world. So I feel very, um, very benefited from that, very proud and very excited to see that take off. Plus you teach about archetypes, do you not? I do. All the time. time. (laughs) Pretty much that's all I do is teach about archetypes. And that's, you know, and, and us reclaiming the divine feminine embodiments of those archetypes in our own lives to aid us in our own journeys and the world that we want to see. So, Anadea, thank you, love, for being here. I really, really appreciate your time. And for everyone else who here is listening, I would love to hear when you get a deck of these cards, which one of these cards you resonate with, because I'd like to hear more about these archetypes living amongst us. And until next time, I will have another podcast for you that we will get to dive deeply with another woman who's leading from the edge of her own evolution. And with that said, I bless you and say goodbye. Bye for now, loves. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As Red Women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings.